pushing buttons and pulling triggers. This is Gun Funny. Welcome to Gun Funny episode 185. Today I'm going to chat with Lena Mikulak, discuss the Second Amendment assault happening in D.C., highlight a new red dot from Aimpoint, and talk about a drawing that's now considered to be a machine gun. I'm your host, Ava Flannell. Lena, how are you doing today? I'm doing wonderful. Thank you for having me back. It's been a minute. I know. It has been. It's been actually, (laughs) I don't know, at least two years, but... Oh, yeah. Yeah. But you mentioned that you're in the middle of nowhere. So if your audio sounds a little in and out, that's why. Yeah. But I'm jealous. I wish I was in the middle of nowhere. I'm actually in a snowstorm right now. There's like a huge snowstorm. Yeah. It's one of those things where ever since I bought a house, I really hate shoveling my driveway because I hate the cold, I hate the snow. And then I have to go out and shovel my driveway. And it's a pretty big driveway. And I'm debating if I should do it now or just wait until it's done snowing because... I don't know. Decisions, decisions, you know? Yeah, I feel really bad for you because it's like 75 outside. Okay. I'm sitting on my porch because that's where I have the best <laughs> like service. Just like hanging out, looking at a pond in the snow. <laughs> You're in the snow, so that's rough. I'm not a fan of the cold. I uh, tried for like two years to accept it because everyone was like, you just got to accept the cold. You know, you just got to be in it and it'll be okay. And I did that for two years, tried so hard. And then finally I was like, screw this. I'm done. Yeah. And now I just like, oh, I love the heat. Oh, I love the heat. I think I'm going to have to consider (laughs) moving in the next couple of years because I'm pretty over it. All right. So before we get into it, Smith and Wesson Today, actually, so the show comes out on Monday, which is the day that they are hosting a virtual event. And I believe it's at 7.45 p.m. Eastern time. Definitely tune in for that. You can go to their Instagram page and there's a link where you can sign up in order to view the virtual event. But they have some really cool stuff that they're going to be launching. I actually have one of their products. I just finished the Finishing touches on the video, which will launch tomorrow on Tuesday. That's when they gave me the go ahead to launch my review of this product, but definitely tune in. And yeah, I'm excited to see how everything goes. And I think you guys are really going to like this product. Moving forward, deconstructing the industry. Learn the things you never knew on deconstructing the industry. Lena, most of my listeners, of course, know who you are, but I do have a number of new listeners since you've been on the show. Can you just give a quick introduction to who you are and what you do in the firearms industry? Yeah, absolutely. I am a professional competitive shooter. I've been lucky enough to be doing that for almost 10 years now. I am on Team Sig Sauer. I also represent Mossberg and Sportsman's Warehouse and Hivis and Hoppies and a bunch of really wonderful companies that have help not only support me, but the firearms industry and especially the competition market. So I've been doing that. I travel around competing. Think of me like a NASCAR driver of guns. (laughs) So I go and I see how fast I can run them. And that's that. 
I've been lucky enough to be able to represent the U.S. in pretty much the action shooting sports Olympics because we're not allowed in the Olympics because we're too extreme. We have too much fun. Uh, so we have what's called IPSC and every three years they have their world level competitions and I've gotten to go and represent the U.S. quite a few times and it's the coolest thing in the entire world to be able to go and do the walk-in with your flag and then I've been lucky enough to make it on the podium every time so hold holding up your flag with your anthem playing is about the coolest feeling I think I've ever experienced. Oh I can just imagine that's amazing. Your father is probably one of the most well-known shooting competitors in the world. And your mom is also a very accomplished competition shooter as well. What was it like growing Mm -hmm. up with two legends? Well, I mean, they were just mom and dad. I didn't know any better. And uh, before them, my grandfather was also uh, a competitive shooter and owned a gun shop and was very highly recognized in his sport of bullseye way back in the day when people were cool wearing fedoras and like suits shooting one handed. (laughs) But I don't know. I was always born and raised on a range. They were just mom and dad. Guns were just everywhere. I'd go to the gun store that my mom owned with her almost every day and to the range. Easter was ruined for me as a kid because picking up brass, they would tell me it's just like Easter egg hunting. (laughs) Uh, So it's probably like one of the biggest downsides. I hate Easter egg hunting. It's stupid. (laughs) (laughs) That's hilarious. Yeah, but that's it. Got to travel a lot. I was homeschooled also so that, you know, I could actually like see my parents because they were on the road so much. So I would travel with them. So I always thought it was super weird when I would run into kids and they'd never been out of Louisiana. And I was like, never been out of Louisiana. What do you what do you do? Yeah. <laughs> what do you do with your time? Yeah, I can only imagine. Did you have an interest in firearms or was it one of those things where kids typically tend to, especially when they're younger? sort of go opposites, you know, from what yeah. their parents are doing? Uh, well, shooting for me is different than I would say probably for almost anybody else. It was, you know, like a passion of my parents, but it was always their job. Mm-hmm. So like going to the range where most parents are like, hey, you want to go to the range and plink? You know, it was going to the range to train. Yeah. Going to the range to do work. So I did compete in my first competition when I was eight. And I just kind of competed in one or two matches up until I was about 15, 16. But I was remarkably aware of the level of sacrifice and commitment that it took to be good at it. Like that was made clear in, you know, the day-to-day life, watching my parents train and the sacrifices they made to become who they are. So like as a kid, I was like, well, I don't really want to do that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Like this takes a lot. But then when I turned about 15, 16, I graduated early and I needed to figure out what I was going to kind of do with my life. (laughs) My mom wanted me to go to college, but I really was not a fan of that. And then I got my first real job and it was at a clothing boutique. And I realized that customer service wasn't really my thing because you had to lie to a lot of people. You had to tell a lot of people that they look good and a lot of things. And my voice gets real high pitched when I lie. And it's really obvious. So (laughs) um, I did that. And I also realized that from both of my parents being kind of self-employed and the huge risk that comes with that, but them always speaking about, you know, the reward and kind of at like 15, 16, realizing that someone couldn't pay me enough for my life yeah to do something i didn't have a passion for 
mm-hmm. because that's what a job is. Someone's paying you to do, you know, to yeah. spend your time in your life doing that. So I figured I was like, well, I got to find out what my passion is going to be. And I was lucky enough. I think it was for my 16th birthday, I went to my very first three-gun match, uh, Superstition Mystery Mountain. My mom asked me if I wanted to go. And I was like, okay, yeah, sure, whatever. And I practiced up just a little bit for it. And we went to Arizona and I shot it. And you talk about like a dumpster fire trash, just like, I think my first stage, I left like six long range targets. (laughs) I went to war on some slug targets. I ran dry with my pistol, like everything that could happen. It was just happened in the first stage. And I was like, holy cow, I found it. I love this. This is so overwhelming me that I have to do this more. Wow. (laughs) So I shot my first match that year in 2012. And then I shot 27 major matches that year. At the end of the year, I won my very first Three Gun Nation shoot-off, which used to be like a big qualifying match where you'd have to compete all year. I went in in the fourth seat and managed to win that. And then at the end of that year, I won my first world title. So I really just was fully committed at that point. Yeah, no kidding. You just ran with it. That's impressive. I had your dad on the show not too long ago, right before the Gundies. And he mentioned Mm -hmm. that he was surprised that you ended up getting into the competition shooting world. What do you think? Why do you think that is? Um, Because as a kid, I once again had no huge interest in it. But it's not that I didn't have an interest in shooting. I didn't have an interest in the immense amount of, once again, commitment and sacrifice that it took to be good. And then not just good, but the best. And I not found a competition that I was willing to put that type of time into. I had shot, you know, like pretty much like every division in USPSA, like once or twice and did some other things, but nothing that just like lit my soul on fire enough to once again commit the time to it but then I found three gun and I was like yep is it is what I'm gonna do Mm -hmm. I'm gonna shoot this I'm gonna shoot a whole lot of it (laughs) (laughs) when you shot your first competition at the age of eight I imagine the equipment didn't fit you well do you remember what it was that you used yeah um the competition that I shot when I was eight it was actually a 22 rifle a 22 pistol and then there was a shotgun portion to the match, but I was too small for that. So they let me just shoot uh, the pistol and rifle uh, divisions. And it actually was truly perfect for a kid. I was so young that they didn't know kind of where to put me. So after the first year I competed, I went back and competed at that match every year for like, I don't know, like seven or more years. And they actually ended up making a sub junior category for people like me. <laughs> But it was really fun. Like everything fit me. And the fact that it was all 22, it worked out really well. And the best part of it was at that point in time, it was a team match. So you either had a two-person team or a three-person team. So after my first year of competing with my sister, the next year I was able to like recruit two other girls that were my age. And that always made it really fun. And as a kid, you know, like it was super fun just to be able to hang out with other girls and go and shoot. It was a fantastic competition for me at that time. Yeah. I didn't realize that you had a sister. Yes, I have a sister. She is 11 years older than me. Oh, wow. And what is she? Yes. Is she her also name doing? is, she shot when she was younger, but as my mom said, when she was 12, she shot Steel Challenge. 
she won junior overall and she told my mom she was going to retire on top. (laughs) (laughs) And what is her name? So, um, Justin. And so what is she doing now? She was a nurse for a while. She had her own boutique, that one that I talked to you that I worked at for a while. And Mm -hmm. I realized customer service wasn't my thing. Yeah. And now she is actually working for my parents, helping coordinate the YouTube channel and help my father with just managing uh, his work now. Mm -hmm. Nice. You know, that's something that a lot of people don't realize is how much work goes into just even creating a YouTube video or even practicing. I'm sure a lot of people who watch you, they're probably like, man, she hasn't made like all she has to do is just shoot guns for a living. She does what she loves and it's just so easy. And she has no (laughs) idea what the real world is like. Oh, wow. Uh, Yeah, no, there are definitely those people, those people that are sending me comments like, oh, my gosh, it must be so nice to just have endless free ammo. And I was like, "Uh, yeah, I mean, like whenever you find that person that has endless free ammo, let me know who they are. Uh, (laughs) Like my job cycle is to shoot, to make money, to then spend money on ammo so that I can do my job to make more money to buy more ammo. (laughs) Yeah. I know. It's- um, like it's an endless cycle and there's so many uh, different levels to what we do because we are pro athletes in the shooting world, but we're also brand ambassadors. We're social media marketing. We're YouTube creators, teacher. I'm an instructor. So doing classes, making it all happen. But like I said, it's something that I can spend my life doing. Mm-hmm and be happy about it. So very lucky in in that regard. Mm -hmm. Do you ever feel just really overwhelmed with everything? Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Especially like uh, right before COVID. I have to say like the timing of COVID was remarkable for me because I had been hitting it so hard for like eight years straight. And in a professional competitive shooters, like, I don't know, like lifespan, You have those beginning years and I call them like the title snatching years where you have to build up your resume. And the only way to do that is to compete. Mm -hmm. And it's a really intense period. And I had been doing that for so long. It's really hard to then go, okay, I have made it, you know, like I, you know, I've won enough to prove who I am because that's just like not even in my brain, Mm -hmm. but doing that and then all the different levels that my job had become over the years of like all the things I listed off social media creator. Obviously I have contact with every single one of the businesses that I work with and companies. So keeping that up, just all of that just kind of slowly evolved into being this giant bundle that I had no idea how to handle. Mm -hmm. Cause there's no like go to school to be a professional shooter. Yeah. Um, (laughs) You learn it. You learn it all on the fly. And for eight years, I really had no system for it. It was just doing. And then COVID hit and I already had wanted to take a break to try and just sort through everything. And then there was like a forced break. The universe was like, oh, you want a little break? How about a big one? Yeah. And I actually loved it. It allowed me to be home for the longest time that I had been home in like eight or nine years and just kind of sort through my normal life things and my business things and set up systems and just take a little self-care because that's not my strength. I am kind of a workaholic 
and we talked about it a little while ago, like sitting down is mm-hmm. so hard. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. So now I can sit down and occasionally I can even watch TV and not feel guilty. Huh. So that's cool. <laughs> that's so funny. Everything that you're saying, it just reminds me exactly how I am. Even just growing up, your parents and, you know, my parents are self-employed. They were in the gun industry and then even now, and I hate it. But if I do watch TV, that's usually when I do social media. I have to be doing something else. I have to multitask. I can't just sit down and dedicate myself to a movie. Yeah, it's hard. Relaxing yeah. is hard. I remember when people, like, usually in interviews like this, people be like, oh, so what do you do outside of shooting? And I was like, uh, shoot. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, 2019 was the first time I ever got a hobby. That was my first hobby in my entire life. And what was that hobby? Mountain biking. Oh, nice. That was also the year that I broke my wrist mountain biking. Oh. <laughs> also have a difficulty with taking it slow. Yeah. I might have escalated it astronomically fast. And within like one week of actually mountain biking, I was at a downhill park in Colorado with a bike that I knew that wasn't suited for it. But I was like, I'll just go slower. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Needless to say, uh, I hit a ramp and I should not even be allowed to be on the same property as the ramp at a downhill (laughs) park with... uh, was not the right bike, and well, I guess air that I didn't intend to get and broke my wrist. So learning. <laughs> and has that affected your shooting skills at all now? I was in a cast for a really long time, but I was smart enough to make sure that I waited till after my major competitions of that year. Yeah, and then I just did so much strong hand shooting. Luckily, it was my weak side. So I got super good at strong hand only pistol. Yeah. That's all I did. <laughs> <laughs> nice. But now I'm back to normal. Everything's good with my left wrist. Luckily, it healed well and all that. Yeah, definitely. I guess that's something that when you do something physically as a profession, you really have to make sure that you're taking care of your body because some of these injuries could definitely affect what you do for a living. Oh, yes, absolutely. Oh, trust me. I got all the talking twos. Yeah, right. About- I can just imagine. <laughs> about uh how silly it was for me to be doing such a thing but i mean at some point you gotta decide to just decide to do things yeah and since since i like my body is my job and who i am is my job uh yeah anytime i decide to do something silly it's it's really not smart (laughs) Mm -hmm. i hear you i'm gonna take a quick break and talk about sb tactical real quick If you've been wanting to build a short brace pistol, now's the time. SB Tactical has their SB PDW brace in stock. It's personally one of my favorites. I have it on a few of my guns. The SB PDW is one of their more popular ones for compact builds because it collapses to a really short overall length. So it's been really hard to find in stock more recently than not. It uses a proprietary buffer tube to achieve the shorter overall collapse length but maintains compatibility with standard buffers and springs. It's three-position adjustable and rock-solid, so it's a great choice for compact pistols. Check that out along with all their other braces. They have so much to choose from, and that website is sb-tactical.com. Remember, if you use the code GUNFUNNY15, that will get you 15% off your entire order. 
do you ever feel pressure to live up to expectations or to be somebody that people expect of you? I can say as a kid, that was something that also pushed me out of shooting. I had a bunch of just jerks of humans come up to me as a kid, two that I specifically remember that affected me for a lot longer than they should have. But uh, I remember a lot of people always coming up and just going like, man, you've got some really big shoes to fill, Mm -hmm. you know, and I'd be like, yeah, okay." And then one guy in particular came up. Just like a, like a kid at a match, not yeah. even doing anything. Like, I'm sure I was just playing in the dirt because that was my childhood. He came up to me and was like, wow, your father's really good. You'll never be as good as him. And like walked away. <laughs> wow. Um, so people are a bit of uh, asses. And mm-hmm. that affected me when I was a kid because I didn't understand that. You know, like just adults were adults. But don't worry. Then I got older and I realized everyone was an idiot. And I was like, oh, okay, this makes sense. Mm -hmm. I'm sure also being in this industry, because there's so many people that are going to criticize. It doesn't matter if you're the best of the best. You're going to get. If you don't, I would love to know what (laughs) what advice you have, because I will say even this year, I've been called more names. Everything about me has been put down. And I was just telling my cousin this yesterday. At this point, people cannot say anything that I haven't already heard. It's almost like you have to develop such a thick skin that you almost just kind of have to laugh about it at this point. Yeah, I've been really lucky that a lot of people don't jump on my back. And also, like, I, I really don't care. The only pressure that I feel is the pressure that I put on myself. Mm-hmm. And that's greater than anybody, anybody yeah. else could ever do. But now it's to achieve things that I'm passionate about. And like, that's why I feel pressured Mm -hmm. because I want to achieve things. Uh, Other people, I really don't care. (laughs) Uh, The only criticism that I think I would ever care about for other people would be if they feel like I'm not doing what kind of like my life goal is, which is to make the range a safe, fun and accepting place for all. Mm -hmm. But If they do say that, I know they're lying because that's what I do. (laughs) I hear you. Yeah, but uh, people always have an opinion. And I I now have enough to stand on. Mm -hmm. You know, like a lot of people like to criticize my shooting techniques because Mm -hmm. I do a lot of different things because I approach the range very open-mindedly. And I was lucky enough to train with my father growing up and him always saying, like, every time you go to the range... You go with the mindset that everything you're doing is wrong Mm -hmm. and there's a better way to do it, which is remarkably exhausting, Mm -hmm. but it keeps you so open-minded to the possibilities of developing and finding a better answer. So through that, I have a lot of weird shooting techniques Mm -hmm. that uh, do get criticism, but at the same time, they're proven. So it's like, all right, you can criticize it, but like, can you beat it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, we can, and then criticism is nothing. Like, okay, like it doesn't matter if it doesn't get results. Like, I don't do these things because I think they're cool or because they're what I want to do. It's because it, they prove to me through my training that they worked. Mm-hmm. And I got to do what works because that's my job. Exactly. Let's talk about your grip for a second. Because <laughs> that's what a lot of people usually critique you on right it's the way that you hold the gun when you're shooting it yeah yeah pistol it's the way i hold my pistol shotgun it's the way that i stand 
rifle. It's the way that I stand. <laughs> also, that when I shoot iron sights, I have to close an eyeball because yeah. of recent, I learned that the internet is super salty when you close about one eye. anyone doing anything different with their eyeballs than mm-hmm. having both of them open. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, I didn't know I needed to start like a support group. Yeah, no <laughs> kidding. Well, and I can understand, yeah. but when you first learn, and even because I'm an instructor and I still teach my students to close one eye, have your dominant eye open. And then as you get a little bit more comfortable and you can shoot well and accurate, then you train yourself to shoot with both eyes open. But it's one of those things that nobody ever even told me from the beginning that like, hey, the end goal is to eventually be able to shoot with both eyes open. And so I've been trying to practice that just within the last couple of years. But it's still so much easier for me to shoot accurately with my dominant eye and the non-dominant eye closed. Yeah. So a reason for that could be that not only is there eye dominance, you know, like right eye and left Mm -hmm. eye dominant, but there's degrees of dominance. So like I am right-handed, right eye dominant, but my left eye is just almost as dominant. Like it's just slightly less. So I, when I have iron sights, I have to close my left eye off. But when I open my left eye, even though I'm right eye dominant, you know, like my right eye is supposed to take over. Yeah. But it just sees the side of the gun. So they both constantly are fighting over dominance. So there is no, for me, at least, like eventually I'll be able to shoot with two eyes open. Yeah. Unless I have an optic, like it's not going to work. On Uh a shotgun, I got to shoot with my left eye squinted so my right eye can take over. So like there's different degrees of dominance. There are some people that are so strongly one eye dominant. And when that's the case, then you can definitely choose one. But like for some people, it will never be an option with iron sights. Now, Mm -hmm. with an optic, I can open both. But if it's irons, like I just got to accept it, which I do. (laughs) That's interesting. I didn't know that, but it makes perfect sense. And then let's talk about your grip. When you grip the gun, you are using the trigger guard. Your fingers are on the trigger guard. Yeah. Yes. So the reason I do that is because back in the beginning of my shooting career, I was out shooting with my father. We're out there training and we were just doing bill drills, which is just six shots as fast as you can working on recoil management. And he was like, hold the gun tight or stop noodling it, which means like your wrists are wiggling. Yeah. And just like, (laughs) just like, come on, do it. Like, what are you doing? Hold on to it like you mean it. Yeah. And I was like, I am doing all that I can. And we bickered and we argued all the way back to his (laughs) shop. And then I took out a tape measure and I measured his forearms and my calves. And they were the same size. And at that moment in time, I realized that even though his technique was totally proven, totally Mm -hmm. awesome, I could never take it, apply it to me and expect a better result because there was less of me. Mm -hmm. So at that moment, I was like, all right, well, everything I'm doing is wrong and there's got to be a better way. So what is that way? So I did some research and there was a gentleman called Eric Graffel. He's like the most undefeated IPSC pistol shooter ever, a true phenomenon in the shooting world. And he shoots with one finger in front of the trigger guard. And I was like, oh, hey, what's this? <laughs> so I tried that and I really enjoyed the way that that helped with my recoil management. And then when I moved to SIG, they have such a big square trigger guard that now I actually shoot my pistol with two fingers in front of the trigger guard. Hmm. 
Interesting. Yeah. And and this is obviously with your non-dominant hand that the finger. Yeah, my. Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah. Now, there's quite a few other modifications for people listening to this that are like, oh, hey, I want to try it. There's there's like a lot of things that have to go into it. Like my dominant hand grip has shifted to the side of the gun. I no longer hold my gun in the web of my hand. Mm-hmm. I'm actually holding on the side of the gun with my dominant hand. And then the whole goal of those fingers being in front of the trigger guard is not to pull back, but is to hook the trigger guard so that I can like try and turn the gun in my hand. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So... Anyways, there's, I think I'm sure there's a video somewhere out there of me talking about this, but I should try that out because it doesn't matter what I do. And I've taken classes and obviously I interview a lot of instructors and competitive shooters. And I always ask specifically women, what do they do to handle that recoil? And same with you. Like I have really tiny wrists. I've broken both of my wrists before and it doesn't matter what I do it still just looks like the gun is controlling me instead of me controlling the gun. I can shoot accurately for days, but it's just one of those things that always bothers me. I should almost try that. Maybe because we're probably going to see each other next month in South Carolina. So maybe you can show me exactly how you grip the gun. Or Yes, I would love that. I would love that because it's so much better in person so I can explain why and I can Mm -hmm. actually place both of your hands on the gun differently than you've ever done. Yeah. For me, it makes a lot of sense mechanically. For everyone out there, like the smaller you are, the better technique you have to use. Mm-hmm. A big old dude can kind of just like do whatever he wants and he's going to get away with a lot. But the smaller you are, the more technique you have to have. So there's a lot of small changes. I would love to see how you hold a pistol from like your toes to your nose and yeah. just kind of work you through uh, my technique on all of it to try and utilize all the body that I got. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. When I first met you, you were shooting for Smith & Wesson. And then, mm-hmm. as you said previously, you started shooting for SIG. What determined you to make that change? SIG was a company that was not only making products that I was excited about, but they were going in a direction that I wanted to go in. Mm-hmm. They were innovating. They were coming out with all sorts of different products at that time. They really wanted my input and I truly filled a hole that they had and were desperately trying to get, which was a female representative and shooter Mm -hmm. for insight on that demographic and what products would work and what they could do to make that better. From the people to the products, like, I love SIG. I truly do. Like, it's such a happy little home for me to go and be at. And what was it like when you made the decision? Because your parents are still with uh, um, Smith & Wesson. <laughs> um, I know a lot of people, like, I don't know what they thought was going to happen. But like, oh, no, they just congratulated me um, <laughs> because they saw what a better fit it was. Yeah. And the people that I was getting to work with, they were just really proud and excited that I found somewhere that I really belonged and somewhere where I could make a difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. But yeah. Yeah, no, we still ate dinner together. There was yeah. no arguing. I wasn't banished from the family like everybody thinks I was. Way to go, Lena. This is going to make it so much more awkward when we have to go to Smith & Wesson now. <laughs> yeah, no, there was none of that. None of that, luckily. Good. What does a typical day on the range look like for you? On the range? Yeah. Cool. Um, there is no typical day on the range yet. But I was lucky enough to go and train with my SIG teammate, Max Michelle, mm-hmm. which this was the first time, even though we've been on Team SIG together for like 
what is it, four or five years now. I finally got to go and really train with him just last week. And he literally like blew my mind. It was one of those like three, four day classes that at the end of it, I was like, how have I even made it this far? Wow. I cannot wait to implement. Like he has such a system for everything. And like I said, I kind of just like grew up into this. Yeah. So just really winging it the whole time (laughs) on every level. And to be able to go and train with someone like him who has a system for everything, a reason behind everything, like structured training, like these are the days I go, these are the practices I do, the round counts, the drills, it covers everything that you'll address in competition. My little brain was just like, holy cow, what have I been doing? Wow. Uh, So we're not going to talk about what it used to be because now it's going to be so much better. (laughs) And so what it used to be kind of just like um, me addressing whatever I hated the most. I would always go and practice what I hated the most because if you don't know what to shoot at the range, if you hate it, it means you're not good at it. So usually identifying what I hated and then structuring a practice around that. But Mm -hmm. now that's out the window because I have such a better everything because Max just literally gave me printouts of, I don't know, it's like the path to greatness. I'm so excited. Wow. That's crazy. So I did see you guys shoot together at the SIG range day. And it's actually kind of funny because when you were shooting, your microphone was still on and you were singing a song or humming a song. I think it was like old McDonald's (laughs) or something. (laughs) So is that something that you, because people don't realize that not only do you have to have the skill set to shoot these competitions, but also the mindset. And I think the mindset's probably more important because you can shoot well all day long, but then the minute that that buzzer goes off, people, they go into panic mode and they do everything wrong. Is singing or humming Old McDonald Had a Farm, is that one of your (laughs) go-tos? No, that was just me being me on the range. I want you to know, I do a lot of things I'm not even conscious of. And while I shoot, there's a lot of like little like, ah, a lot of sound effects while I shoot. And I don't really mean to do them. I think it's just me. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Unconsciously doing that. Uh, But you're completely right about mindset and the mental game. It is everything when it comes to competitive shooting, because it doesn't matter what amazing skill set you have, muscle memory or any of that if you can't access it on demand. Mm -hmm. Like it's truly pointless if you can't do what you want to do when you want to do it. So the mind games and all of that, it's kind of, it's what changed me in my competitive shooting career from being a solid like 50% shooter at matches to starting to understand what I needed to do mentally. And within just like one conversation, I had a light bulb moment in the middle of a disaster match. And I went up from a 50% shooter to finishing 12th overall on a course of fire and being totally in control, totally chill. It was an amazing moment for me in my career. It's what allowed me to go on in my first year and win that shoot off and win my first world title. So the mental game is huge. If anyone wants an in-depth look into the mental game. No one does it better than Daniel Horner. And he had an online audio recording of him going through his mental management program. And it's freaking golden. Like I have to tell you between Mac being like blowing my mind with how to practice and how to train and how to do every aspect of shooting to Daniel coming in and being like, this is how you access it. This is how you set goals. This is how 
you do things mentally. Mm-hmm. I'm so lucky to have both of them on, on my team. Yeah. They're both awesome. But yes, mental side, absolutely. I think one of the more beginning things that a lot of people can do to get better performances is start to have a pre-stage routine. So for me, if I'm competing, so say we're like kind of in the middle of the match, as soon as I get done shooting, I immediately go back and I process how my stage went, what was good from it, if I had any big falters, what made them happen. And I do that while I'm loading my mags and I load all my mags. You never want to show up to a stage with an empty mag. It happens more often than not. So as soon as I'm done, I check my gun, I load my mags. And then on the next course of fire, for me, when I'm two to three shooters down, that's like my go mode. Up until that point, I'm chit-chatting it up, singing, dancing, doing all the me things. And then two to three shooters down, I put my earmuffs on. And I go and it looks really antisocial, but it is. And then I wander (laughs) off and I usually just sit down and I just start visualizing. I should have already walked the stage so much that I know it just by heart. But I go and I kind of run through, for me, my checklist Mm -hmm. of what I have to do to accomplish this stage. And something that I learned early on was if I have a good sight picture and a good trigger pull, I can make it through anything in shooting. Mm -hmm. And as soon as I try and do more than that, it doesn't work out. Stages can be really overwhelming. And like you said, that buzzer going off can make you overwhelmed. But if all you do is good sight pictures and good trigger pulls, there's no way you can fail. Mm -hmm. So when I'm two to three shooters down, I go put my muffs on. I run through my stage visualizing it. Uh, Once again, Daniel has a really well thought out way of how to visualize. but you visualize in first person and you visualize in third person running through the course of fire. And this is a time for me to turn my brain off because I am super hyperactive and ADD and everything. And my brain likes to come in and yell at me and throw all sorts of wrenches Mm -hmm. in the works while I'm trying to shoot. So this is time for me to deep breathe, turn my brain off and let my training and my ability take over. Because I don't need my brain to tell me what to do. I know what to do. And if it comes in and starts trying to tell me things, it's only going to slow me down and distract me. So I have my process for that. And then I can get up and go shoot. Even Serena Williams. This is one of my favorite things. Serena Williams, before every single serve, she bounces her tennis ball eight times. And it's not that she needs to. But what it is, is it's a routine to let her mind know to shut off. And for her talent and for her training to take over. So everybody should try and develop some type of small routine just to turn the brain off, turn the ability on, take a deep breath and go for it. Yeah, definitely. If you could give one piece of advice to aspiring shooters, competition or otherwise, what would it be? Although I feel like you kind of just aside from turning (laughs) that brain off. (laughs) Well, there's so many different things. If you've never gotten into competition shooting and you want to, just a piece of advice is like, don't buy anything until you can try it. Just show up at a match. Ask a ton of questions. I guarantee you people will loan you all their guns, all their gear. Right now, you'll probably have to bring your own ammo, but (laughs) you need to try stuff before you buy because I see so many people waiting so long trying to get their gear perfect before they show up that like you're missing out on all the fun. Mm -hmm. Like it's better to be out there with any gun that you have, then 
to be at home not shooting. Yeah. <laughs> so don't be afraid of like showing up to a three gun match with your little like bag of shotgun shells hanging off your belt and like a three shot shotgun. Don't worry about showing up with your carry gun to sh- compete in USPSA. Like bring what you have. You're still going to enjoy it and you're going to learn a lot more before yeah. you invest. Definitely. Is there any future plans that you can share with us? Future plans, future plans. What I got, what I got. Um, <laughs> uh, this year, I have a lot of long-term residencies at different places. So I'll be spending a month up at SIG teaching and training in July. I'll also be going to Salt Lake City for almost a month in November, teaching and training and running around in the mountains. So that's kind of exciting. So if anyone would like a class or to come shoot with me or do anything like that, kind of be on the lookout for that. And on a personal side, personal competitive shooting side, I am now focused exclusively on PCC, which stands for pistol caliber carbine competitions. And my personal goal is to kind of go where no woman has gone in the shooting sports. So I want to be winning matches overall. And my long-term goal is to make it on the overall podium for the very first PCC world shoot, which will be in 2022 or 2023. Wow. Awesome. And then can you tell listeners where they can find you on the internet? You can find me anywhere that I am. Uh, Mainly Instagram, Facebook, and also on the Jerry Mitchellick YouTube channel. I know it says Jerry Mitchellick, but just ignore the Jerry and put the Mitchellick in. Uh I'll be there too. But Instagram, it's just Lena underscore Mitchellick. Facebook, it's just Lena Mitchellick. Luckily, there's not very many of us, but do be on the watch out for the Facebook one because there's a scam account that Facebook refuses to take down. I don't want your information. If it's a Facebook asking for your information, it's not me. (laughs) (laughs) Good to know. All right. Awesome. Well, I know you're super busy, so I am going to let you go instead of doing the rest of the show, but I really appreciate your time and I look forward to spending some time with you next month. And guys, if you're listening, definitely head on over and give Lena a follow on social media. Yes. Well, thank you so much for having me on and I'll see you in like a month. Yeah, definitely. Joining me for the rest of the show is Jon Snow, who also happens to be king of the Patreon. He's been on previous shows before. He specializes in the political segment. He's the one who keeps me on my toes to discuss all the things that are going on political-wise. John, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Before we get into talking about politics, though, I'm going to talk about IWI real quick. If you haven't checked them out, the Tavor X95 is probably one of the funnest bullpups around. They're chambered in multiple calibers, including 300 Blackout, 5.56, 9mm. They have a number of upgrades over the original Tavor SAR, including an AR-15 style mag release, Picatinny rails on the forend, a modular pistol grip, and a charging handle closer to center mass for better operation. And of course, they have a better improved trigger pack. They even have longer barreled versions with 10 round mags for more restricted states. Pretty much anything that you're looking for within a bullpup, it covers. Check them out at iwi.us. Don't forget, if you see any accessories or swag that you like on their website, 
When you use the code GUNFUNNY15, you will get 15% off. And now it's time to cover the political aspect. Politics. What is going on in the world today? It's political AF. Jon Snow, I'm going to hand you the mic and you take it away. Okay. This last week, we've certainly had quite a lot of attacks on the Second Amendment. A whole lot of people are not really aware of what's going on and the full implications of it. Both H.R. 8 and H.R. 1446 passed the House this week, Mm -hmm. and they were sent to the Senate. H.R. 8 is the one that will criminalize private transfer of firearms, with very few exceptions on that one being for immediate family members. And then H.R. 1446 would extend the delays on background checks for NICs if the NICs results don't come right back to at least 20 days. And there are some circumstances where they could really be indefinitely. The troubling thing on this is there was a total of eight Republicans that voted for H.R. 8 and two for H.R. 1446. And a single Democrat voted against eight and that same one and one other voted against H.R. 1446. These guys need to hear from their constituents right away that they are on the wrong side of this because there's right now we are seeing a majorly coordinated effort to attack the Second Amendment on all fronts right now. So we're seeing it not just in new bills being introduced, but we're seeing it in banking industry. Biden removed the executive order that was supposed to protect lawful commerce and banking for Mm -hmm. essentially people in the firearms industry. They're just going after the Second Amendment and people who are involved with it in every way, Uh including free speech. I actually just talked to somebody, Tactical Dynamics, who I think I'm going to have him on the show because he, as of this year, has gone through six processors because the minute they find out that he's selling gun parts, not even guns, but gun parts, they drop him. And it's just one of those things, again, where they're coming at all angles, any angle that they could think of. And it should be illegal because we're obviously conducting a legal business. It's not like we're in prostitution or selling cocaine or something. We are selling parts that is backed by the Constitution. And yet we're getting treated as if we're doing some sort of illegal activity. It's ridiculous. And it's hurting a lot of businesses. Yeah, it's truly disgusting because, like you said, this is lawful commerce. Even if they don't like it, it is legal. Yeah. They always make the argument that, well, it's private company. Well, it may be a private company. And yes, private companies, I do think, have the right to refuse business with companies that they don't want. However, when you're the only game in town for something that you depend on to do a business, along with that, There is a user agreement that Mm -hmm. they sign when you sign up for that. The processor is supposed to abide by those terms as well, and they are not doing anything illegal. So they have no right to be doing that in the terms of the agreement. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's like become like a monopoly. Yeah. And what they're really trying to do is deplatform and make it so people cannot make a living. Mm -hmm. Right now, all of this, it's just extremely critical that everybody start getting active. They really are just trying to come after the Second Amendment on all fronts. Yeah, absolutely. And and I know that H.R. 8 and 1446, they might sound great in theory. Oh, okay, background checks for everyone. That sounds great in theory. But I've just gotten to the point where any gun control 
I've said this before, I can't say it enough. You give them an inch and they take a mile. At this point, even if it does make sense, you can't do private sales on the street. But criminals are going to get guns no matter what, whether they're getting them from other states, other countries, people can make them. That isn't really the problem. And like I've said before, when it comes to any type of gun control at this point, I'm completely against it because that's not going to solve the problems that we're facing. We're just really attacking law-abiding citizens. That's exactly it. The law-abiding citizens are the only ones that are inconvenienced by these. The criminals, they're going to go to the guy selling it out of the back of the car. It's not going to affect the guys who are criminals. Mm -hmm. A very small portion of any guns that are used in crimes come from legal sales. Mm -hmm. And most of those are actually stolen from the people who bought them legally. Yeah, exactly. It has nothing to do with safety, never has. It's always been about taking away the rights of people who they don't want to be able to defend themselves. They want you to be dependent on the government. Let's talk about the Republicans that voted against this. Talk about a slap in the face. And then there's the Democrat that was in favor of it, which is interesting because I think we are moving to a point now where it's no longer Republican and Democrat. And there's a lot of people that kind of stand in the middle, which in a way is kind of good to see. I don't know. It's definitely interesting to see who voted for what. And cool. Thanks for looking out for what you essentially stand for. Yeah. Yeah. One of the Democrats on a speech that she gave, especially, she said, our vote today is a beginning and it's definitely not the end. That's exactly what they're doing. They have, I can't even count the number of anti-gun bills that they have introduced this year. And I read a statistic that only four bills introduced so far in the new Congress are bills designed to increase the freedoms of people. The rest are all restrictive. Yeah, it makes that sense. That says everything right there. Mm-hmm. You know, another thing that I also noticed that was sort of interesting is now there, I believe there's seven states that have uplifted any restrictions, COVID restrictions. And I find it interesting that everything was locked down when Trump was president, even though he left it up to the governors. All of the seven states that have lifted restrictions are Republican, which is funny to read a lot of these articles that are left leaning because they're just like, well, thanks to the Republicans, COVID is now going to spread even more. And it's just, I don't know, it's kind of funny, but it's interesting to see that they are allowing this. And it's almost like, I think, honestly, under Trump's administration, we could have had less restrictions. I don't think that it would have helped much. Again, I'm not a doctor, but it's almost like, okay, well, now that Biden's president, hey, let's get the economy back rolling so that it'll look better in his favor that under his administration, there was a lot more employed. The economy was a lot better. It's just something that I've been kind of keeping an eye on. And I think it's all for the overall statistics as to how well the economy was when he was president. Yeah, they're definitely manipulating things with that especially into those states that have opened up, they started the surge at the border of illegal immigration and they're not keeping people there like they were. Mm -hmm. What was it? I don't remember what the number was. I think at least 5% of the people that they were releasing were testing positive with COVID. So they're having higher numbers because of that. It's not the people that were there that are getting sick. 
Yeah, I don't know. And it still is just so interesting to even see the numbers because it showed the states that lifted these restrictions, how many people get COVID a day and then how many deaths there are a day. And it was just within a week. And again, we've talked about this before, but I definitely don't believe the numbers just because who have you heard of this year of dying of the flu? It's suddenly the flu went away. They're counting all these deaths that aren't really COVID related as COVID because they get more money. I don't know. It's just interesting. Yeah. But anyways, I'm kind of getting off on some tangents here, but definitely guys take action, write to your representatives, voice your opinion, because I think we're definitely in for a crazy four years, but I think this is just the beginning, unfortunately. Yeah, definitely just the beginning. Both of these bills are going to the Senate next week. And with the current makeup of the Senate, we have a good chance of blocking them. However, it all hinges on the filibuster. And the filibuster, if anybody is not familiar with it, essentially is what prevents, at least in certain legal decisions, whether you have to have a simple majority or a larger majority in order to pass it. Laws like this, they have to have more than a simple majority, simple majority being just 50%. But for something like this, it has to be the bigger majority. They've threatened to repeal the filibuster. And right now, the only thing that's protecting the filibuster is the word of one Democratic senator who has many times gone back on his word in the past. But he has said that he's not going to vote to repeal the filibuster. And that is Senator Joe Manchin. He needs to hear from everybody across the country that the filibuster has to remain intact because if they repeal that, these bills will sail right through. All of the Democrats will pass it. And VP Harris, she will cast the tie-breaking vote in the Senate. And then every single anti-gun bill from there on, they won't have to worry about the filibuster. Every single one of them, including Dianne Feinstein's new assault weapons ban, which I don't know if you've had a chance to look at that, but Mm -hmm. it's far worse than any of the times she's ever submitted it before and far worse than any of the stuff that happened under the 94 crime bill. Mm -hmm. All of that would just sail through with the filibuster repealed. Yeah. I'm very concerned that we will lose the filibuster and that they will start pushing all of that stuff through. Another sad thing that happened this week was 20 Republicans went against basically what they had previously said was what they should do when they confirmed Merrick Garland as the new attorney general. This guy is a rabid anti-gunner, has been for years. Everybody's known it. Some people may remember President Obama tried to nominate him to the Supreme Court right at the end of his term, and the Senate blocked it. Mitch McConnell at the time said that it was one of the biggest accomplishments of his life in preventing his nomination to the Supreme Court. And yet he also is one of the ones who voted to appoint Merrick Garland as the new attorney general. So there's some severe disappointment on those right there because he is going to implement every anti-gun policy that Biden wants and that he's behind as well because he is very much a rabid anti-gunner. We're going to see extreme overreach on prosecution of cases. It's just a coordinated effort on every front to strip away the Second Amendment. Mm -hmm. And we have to be active basically all the time. Yeah, definitely. All right, moving forward, let's talk about something a little more positive, Manicore Arms. 
I mentioned the IWI Tavor X95. Manticore Arms makes a ton of parts for that. The curved butt pad, the switchback charging handle, the gasketed port covers, all of those you want to get. But there's also the cantilever forend, which comes with full-length rails. But if you aren't wanting to change out the forend, there is now a new option for the top rail. The new Overwatch full-length rail gives you a full-length Picatinny rail that works with the factory forend. It also raises the rail height so that it works with standard U.S. height optics for the AR-15. The factory rail is a bit low as it's designed for taller Israeli optics. Those are in stock right now for just $124.95. But remember, you're not going to pay full price because you'll use the code GUNFUNNY15. And that is going to get you 15% off. That website is manicorearms.com. Now it's time for Q&A. Q&A. There's no such thing as a stupid question. Just kidding. Visit gunfunny.com forward slash contact to submit yours. If you guys have a question for me, whether it's gun related, about my personal life, about the weather, whatever, ask away. All you have to do is go to gunfunny.com, click on the contact us form and submit your question. Today's question is, with your plant obsession consuming a lot of time lately, is tickles getting a little jelly? It's actually really funny that somebody just asked me that because yesterday I realized that tickles didn't have any water. (laughs) (laughs) I feel really crappy for even admitting this, but yeah, here I am. I have to fill up. I have humidifiers now throughout my house. It's literally a rainforest in my house. The other night I was trying to sleep. It's just so hot, but I can't lower the heat because my plants will die. (laughs) So I'm, I'm pretty much living in a rainforest. But I have humidifiers throughout the first level of my house, and I fill those up probably three times a day, which has become a full-time job. And here I am filling up the humidifiers, and I look down, oh no, Tickles doesn't have any water. Yeah, I realized at that moment that maybe I need to take a step back a little bit and pay a little bit more attention to Tickles' well-being. It's really hard not to concentrate on these plants, especially when a lot of them are so expensive that I don't want them to die. And you're constantly checking them. I can't even tell you how many times a day I'm looking at them, making sure that their leaves don't look droopy or there isn't sun damage on their leaves because then I'm putting, not like I get a ton of sun, but I have the artificial lights. And that means I need to back off on the artificial lights. Yeah. This week I got a really cool plant. It's called a philodendron bilitae, and it's super cool. It's just, I don't know, so tropical looking. I also got a black velvet alocasia, a silver scale alocasia, and I got something that's variegated, a Sigonium albo. And that's kind of cool too, but definitely kind of branching off those plants that they sell at Home Depot. GTFO, if you know what I'm saying. I'm all about the rare plants now. (laughs) (laughs) But I do have to make sure that Tickles is still eating and I don't forget to hydrate her. Yeah. It's funny because I did hear somebody say, because I was telling somebody recently that had a little dog, I don't know, Tickles is like my little baby. And I just feel like if I had a baby, Tickles would probably be jealous. And she was like, oh, yeah, I used to be all about my dog. And then I had a kid. And now, oh, no, did I even feed the dog today? You totally forget about the dog. And I'm like, no way, I would never do that. And then a few plants come all around and suddenly I forget to feed Tickles. (laughs) But luckily, she's an operator, so she can handle it. Tickles can handle it. Yeah. Tickle, she's got this. She can fend for herself, all right? If she has to, I'm sure she could find a way to drink from the humidifier or something. She's fine. 
Don't go calling Pete on me now. Primary arms. I just got some leggings from them. I talked about it a few shows ago about how I was going to order those leggings and I got them. They work really well, actually. I'm probably going to do a review on it. If nothing else, I'm going to post pictures of me using these leggings. But for me, I personally, I love living in leggings. It's just so much more comfortable. You put jeans on, it's just, eh. it's kind of like wearing sweatpants, but not looking as homeless, I guess. Obviously, if you're wearing leggings, it's hard to conceal, but these, they're from Alexo and they work really well. I've been trying out a bunch of different guns and put the Hellcat, the RDP, so it has that muzzle device, that compensator. It might be a little bit more difficult to conceal, and then it also has that optic, but I had no issues with that. If I were going on a hike, I would definitely be extremely comfortable using it. I wouldn't work out in these leggings, I don't think. I couldn't see myself doing crunches and stuff while carrying, but if you're just going for a hike, a run, I ran around my house, jumped up and down to see if it would even move. It didn't, so... Yeah, it worked really well. So I would definitely recommend if you guys love leggings, check them out. Head on over to primaryarms.com. Also, if you find an optic, a primary arms optic that you like, remember if you use the code AVA, A-V-A, you will get a free scope mount with our primary arms optic. And then does that primaryarms.com. Tacti Talk. Tacti Talk. Discussing popular guns and gear. Love it? Hate it? Find out now. A red dot with an adjustable drop compensation. Aimpoint is well known for making robust red dots, and they've come out with a new one that sounds pretty interesting. They actually released this to law enforcement and military a year ago, but have just made it available to the general public. The Comp M5B is built to let you quickly adjust the position of the reticle to compensate the ballistic drop. Just twist the knob to the right distance and the red dot is adjusted for that distance. Have you had a chance to try these out? I have not. I ran across these and I was looking at them. They look pretty awesome. Hmm. Apparently, it also comes with interchangeable turrets calibrated for different calibers. So you're not stuck buying one for each caliber, which is great. It also gives wind or movement compensation adjustment. Essentially, it has quick adjustment knobs like precision optic, but on a red die. It's a completely enclosed system, so you don't have to worry about the emitter getting obstructed or damaged. It's got unlimited eye relief, a two MOA dot, and it runs for five years on a AAA battery. It's also waterproof to 150 meters and has a built-in quick detach. The big drawback is the price is $1,124. It's interesting. I always wonder how they come up with these prices. Not $1,125. It's $1,124. It's always a marketing decision. Yeah. They don't well, want to be whole numbers. Yeah, I guess so. But at first, as I was reading all of this, I was like, dang, what else does it have? It's the full package. And then you get down to the price tag. Uh, you know what? It doesn't sound that great after all. No. No, we're not going to go with it. <laughs> That's yeah. really expensive. You for... could buy a lot of red dots for that. Yeah, I know. Especially if you head on over to Primary Arms. Exactly. You could buy optics for 200 and all your guns would be set. I've been seriously impressed with those ones too lately. Oh, I know. 
I know. One thing that I will say is even from now compared to even five years ago, the price on optics has come down so much that I'm extremely grateful for. And the quality has gotten better too. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's one thing. Aimpoint always has awesome quality, but they always build with military contracts in mind. So yeah. the yeah. high price reflects that. Which makes sense. And if that's who is buying your stuff, whatever. And plus the military, they have tons of money. That's yeah, our tax I mean, dollars. Who cares? <laughs> spending our money. They're really good at that. <laughs> Which reminds me, I have to do my taxes. Ugh. I have to finish mine too. <laughs> I missed last year where the deadline was, what, July 15th? <laughs> I had mine done in February before all that started. Ugh, not me. I was so glad that they actually did that deadline because, oh yeah, my taxes. I get so busy that adulting just seems to be so hard for me sometimes, but the plants are so alive. <laughs> but yeah, I have to. Plants and tickles. That's all that matters. Yeah. That's actually one of the things I had to do this weekend. So thanks for reminding me. Based off of that price tag that the government has no problem paying for. All right. AF segment. Stupid. Funny. Cool. Interesting. Awesome. As. F- Never mind. AF. This week's AF segment, a drawing is a machine gun. What? Do you know anything about this? Yeah, this is another interesting case where they are basically throwing out the actual letter of the law and arresting a guy for, simply put, a drawing. There was a guy in Florida that they arrested him, seized his websites. His websites were autokeycard.com and autokeycards.com. He sold what was just a flat piece of metal with a drawing of a lightning link on it. Lightning link, if anybody listening isn't familiar with, is essentially a piece of metal that cut in the right shape and bent into the right shape can be inserted into the trigger pack on an AR-15 to make it function as a full auto. They're They're illegal to make. By building one and putting it in there, you've made technically a machine gun under letter of the law, which of course is felony and $250,000 fine. So So here- It's not advisable to do, Yeah, but here it's not made. It's just a piece of flat metal with essentially a silkscreen printed of that drawing on it. You've seen pictures of it. People are always posting them in memes, but they would have to- get a hacksaw out and cut it out and then bend it into the proper shape for it to actually be a lightning link. It's just a flat piece of metal that has this drawn on it. Okay, let's go back though for a second. Do you think this guy, that was his intention? It's kind of like after, for example, in Colorado, after the magazine ban, you couldn't sell or buy a magazine that exceeded 15 rounds. So people just got creative and they started selling them as parts kits. They took the magazine apart, put in a bag, here you go, what you do with it at home is your business. And it kind of is that way. Yeah. He used that as an argument. And of course, the ATF didn't buy it. They're still charging him with making illegal machine guns. But yeah, he was advocating that that was what he was intending. Whether that's true or not, I find doubtful. But what someone does with something after you've sold it is not your problem. Yeah. Legally, this is just a flat piece of metal. With some sort of design on it, yeah. It's not even etched on it. It's not like 
there was, you can get pieces of metal that are partially punched through so that you can easily push them through and then bend Mm -hmm. them to make things. It wasn't that it wasn't etched at all. It was just drawn on. Hmm. So if you remember, oh, sometime last fall, they arrested a guy, I think it was in Massachusetts or something, somewhere on the East coast for 3d printed coat hangers is what he called them that he was selling (laughs) and those were 3d printed lightning links yeah so they were physically made so they could technically constitute being an illegal machine gun under Mm -hmm. the letter of the law because it is a part of what can build a machine gun this is not even a part of it it's just a drawing the letter of the law they have no actual legal justification in charging the guy However, it was definitely a bad idea on his part. He had to know this was a danger. Mm -hmm. Anybody who bought one is under the same danger of legal threat. ATF is asking people if they bought one to come forward. That doesn't give anybody any immunity. Anybody who does legal representation would be a very good idea because they are going after these gray area type things like this at a new level. And we're going to see With the new anti-gun Merrick Garland attorney general, we're going to see them going after all of these kinds of things. Yeah. And where do they draw the line? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I would say for this guy to make these and sell them, it was pretty stupid. But at the end of the day, if you look at it, it is one of those things where you'd have to prove that that was the intention. And again, what people do in their own homes is their choice. I don't know. We're going to see so many overreaches on letter of the law. Yeah. Where are they going to draw the line? Is having a drawing on a piece of paper going to be an illegal machine gun? Is having a CAD file for how to build something going to be illegal? Mm -hmm. It's interesting. Yeah. I know. It's just dangerous times. Yeah. And like we talked about earlier, we've got to keep vigilant and keep writing our representatives because this stuff is going to get worse. Yeah. And maybe don't buy this stuff online because they probably have everyone's mailing address now. (laughs) Yeah. Anything questionable like this is just a bad idea. Well, remember when Wish was selling questionable products? Because I have a few friends that are ATF agents and their job at that point was tracking down everybody who ordered one of these products off Wish. I always figured that those wish.com solvent traps were just ATF sting operations. No kidding. (laughs) I would not be surprised, to be honest. All right, moving forward. iTunes reviews, we are all out. That's it. There's no more reviews except for these last two that I'm about to read. So guys, now's the time to write a review. Today, I am not giving away a goat gun. Instead, I'm giving away a calendar. You guys have the choice, either the Ava Flanell calendar or the Gun Funny calendar, which I'm dressed up as a bunny in everyone. It sounds kinky, but it's not really. (laughs) But yeah, calendar of your choice. So if you're the winner, Just send me a message. Let me know which calendar you would like to have, either the AF calendar or the Gun Funny calendar, and a good mailing address. And the best way to get in contact is go to gunfunny.com and click on the Contact Us link and fill out that form. Today's review, first one is Pumix, P-U-M-X. Great fun podcast, five stars. Found your show recently and I'm impressed. Great guests and great format. Looking forward to cranking through all the episodes on my long work nights. Thanks for putting out a great podcast for the 2A community. Second is Mr. Cupcake 57, listening to Ava on Sunday night to fall asleep by. 
Five stars. So I was listening to Ava while waiting for the Sandman, and I had the most vivid dream of Ava having a book signing for her new book somewhere in a log conversation center, like the log building at Paradise on Mount Rainier. After the speech, she was doing book signing. As I was waiting my turn and just about up to the table, her dog Tickles jumps up on the table. And I remember thinking how much bigger and scarier Tickles was than what I had thought. And I decided that it was time to go. No matter where I went, though, I kept hearing Ava's voice loud and clear. And then I woke up and turned off the podcast. I tried to get back to sleep, but kept thinking how scary Tickles was. (laughs) Okay, reading that, it was really hard to read without laughing. That's interesting. That's an interesting dream. I wonder what that dream actually means. (laughs) Yeah. All right, John, out of those two, pick a winner. Uh, I can't decide if that second one is just funny or creepy. (laughs) I know. That's kind of what I was thinking, too. It almost sounds super stalker-ish, but... (laughs) Yeah, but then again, you know how dreams are. Sometimes I have the weirdest dreams. I was actually just talking to somebody the other day because, you know, my mom passed away. And so very often I'll have dreams with my mom. And you would think as much as I miss her in real life that when I have a dream about her, I'd be like, Mom, oh my gosh, I miss you. Some of these dreams are so weird. It's like she never left. It's like I go back in time when things were normal I'll even get into fights with her, just arguing about something stupid, like maybe going to school and her telling me not to wear a tank top to school or just something really dumb. And it's so weird. Dreams are just, that's what it is. It's just they're weird. And you look back and you're like, what the hell does that mean, if any? And why would your mind go to that? Yeah, dreams are weird. Plus, he recognized that Tickles is pretty scary, so. We got to go with him. Although I will say, though, that Tickles, when people see her, they're like, oh, my gosh, she's so much smaller in person. The camera adds 10 pounds and she's only four. (laughs) All right. Mr. Cupcake 57, contact me and I will get a calendar out to you. If you guys like the show and you want to support it, you should consider becoming a patron. You could make a one time donation or a monthly pledge. And all you have to do is just go to gunfunny.com and click the support the show link. And you also, as a result, get entered to win cool prizes. Blown Deadline, for example, they give away a $300 gift certificate to a lucky patron every month. If you're a $5 and up patron, you get a patch that only patrons will get after being a patron for three months. I also want to thank the $25 patrons who are Corbin Bonafide, Iraq Veteran 8888, Ryan Morrison, Joe Lyons, Justin Paulson, Jason Anderson, Joshua Hamp, Sportsman's Guide, Daniel Treadwell, Keith Callamore, and Melissa Writings. And John Snow, I want you to read your own. I can't do that. Oh, God. Okay, here I go. <laughs> King of the Patreon is still John Snow. He wants me to say when the first episode of Gun Funny was downloaded in France, the French government immediately surrendered to Operator Tickles just to be on the safe side. All right. Well, John, thank you so much for joining me for the rest of the episode. Lena, thank you again. Always a pleasure to talk to you. Hopefully I'll be seeing you soon. I think it's next month that I'm going to be doing a shoot with you, but time will tell. And as always, guys, I really appreciate you taking the time to listen to my show. Again, if you haven't, leave a review. Think about becoming a Patreon and I will see you guys next week. Want to send feedback? Tell us about a company or anything else. Go to gunfunny.com 
forward slash contact. <laughs>